It's time for The Rush with OU color analyst Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. Got a question or opinion? Sound off on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line at 405-651-3439 or call the Riverwind Casino call-in line at 405-329-9000. Live from the Buffalo Wild Wings studios, it's The Rush with Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. trying to pull his best uh, Alabama accent as he takes the job. Was that him accepting the, the job as Alabama head it football was. coach? Yeah, he he, uh, he had a phone call with Brian Kelly last night. Brian <laughs> Kelly told him, hey, man, got to endear yourself to the uh, locals around here. So, yeah, yeah, that was breaking news, Kalen DeBoer, <laughs> accepting the Bama job. Nice. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, they got it wrapped up pretty quick, you know, and that – Started to leak out yesterday, and kind of everyone was narrowing their spotlight on one guy, and that was Kalen DeBoer there from Washington, and done. He's uh, sounds like he's just notified the team and and the administration there at Washington, and he's going to be the next Alabama head football coach. Um, I think that's a big move. Uh, he's got a fairly short track record but done some really good things and i don't know to me that move doesn't come lightly and i don't know i know a lot of people had their minds set up it was lanning or it was norvell or you know i don't know where exactly DeBoer was on the initial list but you know they landed a good football coach we'll see if it works at alabama He's stepping into a difficult spot. He's got a team that, and uh, administration, everything is set up there for success right now. But, you know, it's a weird spot to step in and make it your own. And what does all of that look like? So, you know, there's there's a lot of things there that are going to help you have success. But it's also going to be not just a smooth, easy glide, maybe like some people would, would expect. No. Man, this is um, this has worked out well for a lot of head coaches out there, hasn't it? And yeah. it's all funny money anyway, or at least it feels like it. But Nick Saban retiring feels like that did Dan Lanning a lot of good. You know, he's yeah. already getting paid nicely up there in Eugene, but I'm guessing he got a pay bump to stay at Oregon. Steve Sarkeesian was going to get a raise, but I'm sure this whole situation helped him out. Mike Norvell, same thing at Florida State. I wonder how many coaches in college football got a pay bump and maybe even a significant one with all of this Nick Saban news the past 48 hours. Well, I'm, I'm sure plenty. Anyone that, you know, that, that's, it's, it's, uh, it's negotiation time anyways. Um, but, you know, for some of those top names, 
You know, Norvell coming off a great season there with Florida State, although they got hit with the the violations. Um, you know, Texas coming off of a, a their best season in a long time. Sark is renegotiating. Uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, hey, we need to talk conversations going on across the country over the last forty eight hours or so. Yeah. 580, good point. Saban should get a commission from Sark and Norvell. At least a Christmas card from Sark, Norvell, and uh, Dan Lanning. Well, let's get to it, man. Like, what what do you think? Like it, love it, hate it for Alabama? Or is it just still too much unknown to just be really unsure about this hire? I, I think they hired a damn good football coach. That doesn't mean it's going to work. Right, you, you're going to have yep. a. He's got a lot of things that are going to be working against him. You know, there were a lot of guys that were on Alabama's roster that were willing to stay there, wait, develop because of the pipeline. And I just don't know right away that DeBoer is going to get that same type of respect from high school recruits and underclassmen, you know, willing to wait their time because they know the pipeline to the NFL is there. Because a lot of that, you know, I don't know how much, but a lot of that had to do with being coached by Nick Saban and the track record he has with his guys in the NFL. That's, for the most part, going to be gone, at least gone to a large degree, with a new head coach. Now, if the track record stays the same and those players continue to go to the league and have success and you have success there in the in the SEC in college football, then, okay, maybe you're able to retain that. But, you know, that's the thing. And making it, making it Alabama, DeBoer's system and his program, that's going to be difficult. Because you've got to change things. I don't know what you got to change, how much new things you implement, what you leave, what you don't. I mean, that's that's going to be the biggest hurdle that he has is how do I twist this to make it my own but also keep some things in place that clearly were working but also, you know, get the buy-in in recruiting and from current players that are on the roster to be able to continue to trust the system, right? The operation of Alabama has been so successful, so you don't want to totally ditch it. You want to reinforce some of those things so you don't lose all of the, the work that has been done over the years. Sure. Well, and Not it's an also, easy job. And then next year is probably going to be the most difficult year in college football history, you can make an argument, yeah. to win a national championship. Not because – this board is just necessarily loaded next year, but because of the 12-team playoff. And off the top of my head, I can't remember how many times Bama won the national championship without winning the SEC title. But there have been years, I'm sure there were a couple of years, where they didn't win the SEC championship, but they still get into the four-team playoff, right? And they've got a real puncher's chance to win it all. Well, next year, the difference in winning the SEC and not winning the SEC maybe doesn't mean getting in the playoff, but it means playing a an entirely a, another game, man. Like, if Bama doesn't win, if Bama and Kalen DeBoer don't win the SEC next year, 
they'll have to play a third of a regular season to win a national championship. The first round game, the round of eights, the four-team playoff, and then the national championship. So when you talk about he's a really good coach, I agree with that. But it's also going to be the toughest maybe that's ever been to win a national championship, and that's another thing that works against him next year, along with every yeah. other coach in the sport. But he falls into that. Yep. Um, he's going to have to. He's going to have to um, put together a really good staff. You know, and it's not going to be difficult to put together a good staff, but you still got to piece together a good staff. I don't know what Washington's going to do. If maybe they hire from the current staff one of the coordinators there, and you know he, he's he's going to have to. Uh, there's just a lot to navigate, man. It's not yeah. going to be easy. And well, well, think about the SEC. Like, Kalen DeBoer is not going to go to Alabama and have the 17th ranked class. He he's not. But is Kalen DeBoer going to go to Alabama and still have the most talented roster in the country? at worst second like Alabama's had for over 10 years. Because let's look at the dynamic in the SEC right now. Georgia's got it going on. That's not ending anytime soon. They continue to have number one ranked recruiting classes. Tennessee has as much momentum with their program as they've had in a while with Josh Heupel. I know they had a bit of a step back, but still the Orange Bowl win, they feel good about things. And even Auburn, man. Auburn wasn't a good team this year, but it feels like Hugh Freeze is doing some things in recruiting. He flipped a five-star from Georgia this past cycle. He flipped a five-star from Alabama when Nick Saban was still there. He's got a top-eight recruiting class for 2025. So he's not going to be a situation where he has the 15th-best roster, but is he going to have the first or second-best roster like Bama's been used to for quite some time? I I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's – it's not going to be easy for him. Um, it's not going to be a seamless transition. But, I mean, there are some built-in, obviously, some built-in things there. I, I wonder, with Saban hanging around there, as he, he said he's going to, I don't know how much that, that means, but you got to wonder if, like, in order to help Alabama, if, if Saban having a presence there really helps that transition – you know, to be able to say, hey, I'm still around here. This is, you know, this is still an elite uh, institution and, and, and program and all the back office stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, that's at, at what point does it help? And at what point does it kind of get in the way and, and keep DeBoer from growing and making it his program? I, you know, all that to say he's a great coach. It's just not going to be as easy, maybe, as right. some think it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, by the way, coming up next segment, just to uh, tease what's coming up next, we're going to have Ryan Gaines, OU Baseball Director of Ops. We're going to continue to uh, celebrate the life and legacy that was Ryan Miner, and I love opportun- every opportunity that we get to do that. Rick Gutierrez did that with us yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Ryan Gaines will do that coming up next segment. But before we hit a break, just wanted to pass along some things that are happening at the Board of Regents meeting. Uh, Seth Latrell's new contract runs through 2027, January of 27, and will pay him a base of 285k plus 815 for speaking and PR services with an annual bump of 50k. So it looks like Seth Latrell is going to make 1.1 million as the play caller, just uh, approved by the Board of Regents. 
I think what Levy was making 1.8, 1.9 last year, somewhere around there. Uh, Joe John is up to 900k. Uh, Joe Castiglione did say that they're putting seats in Love Field. Love's Field will be ready by March 1st for football season. And if anything else comes out, we'll let you know. But I know some people are interested in the whole salary thing. I wanted to at least uh, pass that along. Boy, I don't know why or how they managed that, but they uh, that's a weird structure for Latrell's salary, right? Yeah. A lot of speaking the, engagements coming up. <laughs> the bulk of it comes from speaking engagements. That's that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's just because of how it's divvied up. I don't know, but um, I love that. There's nothing better than uh, than good, you know, do your homework, do your due diligence accounting, and that's what it looks like that is. That is uh, interesting. Yep. And yep. I'm guessing nothing still on Zach Alley? No, no, nothing, nothing. Yeah. No, I mean, nothing official. I, right. I can tell you that he's been in, in, in town for a, a few days now, looking for a house, but not, nothing official. Uh, and yeah. I do love Camo Sooner. I'm laughing. Five eight zero. I'm laughing. People are definitely commenting, which means it's a Friday. That Funky Town is playing uh, in the background of the casino there for you. So oh, we're trying I, to be, I can uh, hear you know, talk some football, and then Funky Town's playing in the background. I love it. I can hear it, um, and. I've got my headphones cranked because it's. I'm having a hard time hearing you. It's coming through a little bit lighter. So, yeah, I'm trying to cut through the noise myself. But that's just how it goes, and that's that's how we do it whenever we're uh, we're out here at Riverwind. So, all right, let's hit a quick opening timeout. We got Ryan Gaines coming up on the other side. Stay with the rush. It's a Friday on the rush. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman, 405-651-3439 if you want to hop in on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. But let's continue to celebrate the life and legacy of Ryan Miner. Um, just have loved every opportunity we've had over the past few weeks to do so. Rick Gutierrez yesterday, former OU All-American and, and national champion for that 1994 team. And a segment that I'm really looking forward to here is with Ryan Gaines, the OU baseball director of operations but back when ryan minor was on campus he was a student trainer from 1991 to 1995 so ryan um appreciate you for for doing this i really do so if we can let's go back to those years where you were a student trader in norman do you remember your first impression of ryan minor and if you do what, what what was your first impression of that guy yeah guys my my first impression of Ryan Miner was just just how big he was and how easy everything came to him. Um, And more importantly, it just, everything came so easy to him, but he was so humble. He was just one of the guys. And um, that's what made everyone kind of attracted to him. How rare is it to... You know, I, I know we've had some dual sport athletes come through and, and some really special ones, but how rare is it to have a a basketball-baseball crossover and a guy do it at such a high level on both of those? It, you know what, Teddy, what makes it so rare is, like you said, a basketball-baseball player. But not only was he a basketball-baseball player, but he was also playing baseball as a – position player and as a pitcher so just 
go back a couple of years ago, we had Cade Horton, who was a two-sport athlete initially, played a position for us and pitched. Could you imagine him walking off the court uh, in sometime in late March, early April, with no preparation whatsoever, and then go out and compete for a national championship, be an all-conference type player, a all-regional player, and be a uh, member of the College World Series All-Tournament team? It's just, it's just unheard of. Well, Ryan, I've had a really, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but it has been fun this past few weeks to learn a little bit more about Ryan Miners, uh, the legacy of him. And one thing that I've consistently heard, and we heard it again yesterday, is yes, great basketball player, great baseball player, great person, but someone that was probably big man on campus while he's at OU, but he didn't care about that. He, he didn't go about it that way. Like, he just wanted a, everyone to be his friend on the team. He cared about the team first and foremost. I, I just think that that's awesome that that is a part of his legacy, especially with his teammates and those around him, is that, okay, maybe he was big man on campus. He didn't care about that. That's not, that's not why he was there. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was this larger-than-life figure, that wanted to be the most unassuming person he could be. You know, he came from a small town. His mom and dad did an unbelievable job raising both he and Damon. And he was just one of the guys. And that's what, that's what made uh, that group really special is because they all were just kind of one of the guys. And if you have your superstar type figure that wants to be that, then, then the other guys kind of follow in, in suit of that. And, and, I mean, they had success on the court and on the field, and it's because of guys like him who had no ego. Uh, and it was really cool to see. And, you know, the thing about it that, that is so cool is that these guys have all stayed in touch. Uh, I mean, we're going on 30 years now, basically, and um, you can pick up a conversation still today, and it's just like it was 30 years ago. And these guys haven't changed basically whatsoever. Do you know much about his recruitment? And, you know, I know he and his brother had to be had to stick out like a sore thumb there from small town, but uh, I got to imagine as a, as a dual-sport athlete and probably did just more than two sports in high school and growing up, was he a big name around the country? Was it, was it a battle to keep him here in, in the state of Oklahoma? You know, it's funny you talk about that is that uh... – um, so Damon, uh, was the first person, uh, to commit to Oklahoma because, uh, Ryan was being recruited heavily by a lot of teams, but Oklahoma and Oklahoma state basically is what it came down to. And Damon and Ryan both went on a visit to Oklahoma state and really liked it there. And, uh, Oklahoma State did not offer Damon a baseball scholarship. Oklahoma did. So Damon committed to Oklahoma, and the rest is history. I mean, Ryan followed suit right there and followed Damon to to OU. So we can actually uh, thank OSU for not offering his brother a scholarship, uh, and that's basically how Oklahoma wound up landing him. Yeah.
Ryan Gaines, uh, OU Baseball Director of Ops, is our guest. And if you would, um, would you plug what's coming up tomorrow at 1 p.m., how OU fans could get involved with that, and even the the golf tournament that's coming up, uh, what, what the summer, is that correct? Yeah, it's actually going to be in the fall. Uh, so okay. tomorrow we uh, have the Celebration of Life, uh, tomorrow at 1 p.m. at the uh, First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma. And then in the fall, I believe it's November the 5th, uh, they'll have the uh, Ryan Minor uh, family reunion, and uh, all the proceeds uh, for that benefit golf tournament will go to a scholarship fund for both of his daughters. Very cool stuff. Hey, while we've got you on, um, got to ask you about this upcoming season, what it's looking like. Uh, saw you guys have put together a really nice squad. And uh, what's the move to the SEC going to be like for you guys whenever that finally happens? You know, it's funny. Uh, every year during the off offseason, uh, people ask, you know, how's your team going to be? And I'm usually the most pessimistic of uh, <laughs> anyone. So uh, my wife was actually saying, hey, there's got to be something wrong with you because you've been talking uh, about how good you guys are going to be this year. So this is probably the first time that I can say in a long time that uh, really excited about this group. Uh, feel like uh, the coaching staff did an unbelievable job of addressing uh, the needs that we had uh, from you know losing such a, a big group and in 22 and it was really difficult to to rebuild that uh, roster in 23 in a short period of time but this offseason we were able to address every single um, major weakness that we had we feel like we got a lot of depth uh, at multiple positions uh, our pitching staff is as deep as it's ever been probably dating back to uh, 2012 2013 when we had uh, John Gray and Stephen Oker and Dylan Overton, uh, all those guys wound up being major league players. But uh, really excited about this group, excited about the uh, the move to the SEC when we do that. That's uh, uh, just, you know, that, that's the best baseball conference uh, in the country. And uh, that just uh, just a new new motivation for us to continue to, to strive and move forward with the program and uh, look, to, look forward to that challenge. I love how you're starting the season J- just over a month away, February 16th. It's it's Oregon at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Tennessee on that Saturday, who's had a good run the past few years, and then Nebraska on that Sunday. And, and I kind of I got a two part question here for you, Ryan. One, what's been your favorite major league part to see OU baseball play at since you've been at OU? And there's a couple, right? Globe Life Field. I believe you guys played at uh, Target Field a few years ago as well. Where's been your favorite ballpark to see OU play? And if you could schedule an OU game in any ballpark in America, where where, where would it be? Yeah. Well, my favorite ballpark that we have played in uh, would be Petco Park in San Diego. Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe it was- 2008 we played in the uh, Tony Gwynn Classic in Petco and that's a really cool setting it was a great environment there and for me it's easy uh, to answer where I would schedule a game that would be at Yankee Stadium the old Yankee Stadium or the new one <laughs> I would I would say the the old Yankee Stadium for yeah sure. but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I won't you can't go wrong with either one of them it feels like you're in old Yankee Stadium in the new one 
Well, good stuff. Well, Ryan, we sure appreciate you stopping by the show. And like Tyler said, um, hate the circumstances, obviously, but it has been uh, fun, interesting to, you know, to take a look back and hear from some great people uh, with Ryan Miner and all the uh, contributions he's made to the to the program here and had so many fans and so many teammates that loved uh, being around him, playing with him, that has been fun uh, and 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 really cool. November fifth, they've got the event there at Jimmy Austin, the golf tournament scholarship benefit, and then um, this weekend they're going to be there in more uh, with the service. So very very cool stuff, Ryan. We appreciate it and Thanks, good Ryan. luck this season. All right, guys. Thank you. There you go, Ryan Gaines. Um, good stuff. Don't forget about that going on this weekend. And uh, what was it? Uh, Gutierrez yesterday, guaranteed victory, right? Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He said Ryan's going to be uh, in the arena tomorrow, and I mean that would just be that would just be perfect, man. Ninety-three, the last one there. He was on that squad. Uh, the celebration of life for him starts at the exact same time as the basketball game. How cool would that be if people are walking out of there checking their phones? Oh my gosh, OU's about to win at the Fog. That would be. That'd be a special feeling for a lot of people. Tomorrow's got a chance to be a uh, a really cool day, man. Really cool yeah, day. Yeah, I think I think more likely uh, it's going to be like uh, a phantom whistle late in the game, and it's going to be what is that? Oh, well, you know, it was they called a foul on Ryan Miner. You know, that's where that phantom foul oh, came geez. from. So that's what's going to happen up there. Oh, he's got six on the floor tonight. We got to penalize for him. (laughs) KU gets uh, two free throws on the other end and the ball on the, yeah. Lane violation. Lane violation is what it's going to be. Phantom lane violation. By the way, um, I'm still looking for a spread for tomorrow's game. I'll let you know when I find one. But does this make you feel great about tomorrow's game or terrible? KU has a 69% chance to win the game tomorrow, according to ESPN BPI. Like it, love it, hate it. Well, as as we've said, there's you know that could be good or bad. Um, for right now, I'm going to be optimistic with it. I think things are looking great. Kansas limping in after a road loss. I know it's going to it's going to be big time atmosphere as always in there, but even juiced up a little bit um, since Oklahoma's playing as good as they are. That's going to be fun, man. Going to be yeah. cool. I, I feel good about it though. I mean, as good as you can feel. Just don't right. turn the ball right. over 12 times and a half. Let's just start there. There right. you go. All Sound right, good? quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Continues here from Riverwind next. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. I think I just found the spread for tomorrow's OUKU game via the Action Network. Want to take a guess as to what it is? What's spread uh, tomorrow in uh, Fog, Fog Island Fieldhouse? Um, let's see. Assuming that Oklahoma, where are we ranked right now? Um, nine. Have they redone it? Okay. So, not Assuming that Oklahoma really is the ninth best team, you've got to give three, four home court. You've got to give three, four officials. Three, and, that's it? Okay. Man. Yeah. And then you've got to give, you've got to give, Three Kansas is a three-point bet. I'm I'm going nine and a half. What if I told you the line right now is just KU minus five? How would that make you feel? 
Well, they haven't added in officials yet. <laughs> the officials just yet? They'll, they'll do that by end of work day? <laughs> yeah. You know what's interesting? It's hard to uh, calculate. KU minus the, five, though. That's a small number. Okay. Yeah, It's hard to calculate the officials because uh, I, the officials are worth three in a tie game late. Outside of that, the officials aren't worth really anything, so maybe that's not factored in. Maybe that's why it's just five, because you don't well, factor those three points in. I uh, I suppose that's a fair point, because uh, they're normally on their best behavior for the first 39 minutes of the game, and then that's when the, uh, you know, the calls their way really happen in the final minute. I, and I guess we saw that with uh, football this year, right, is the most egregious calls seemingly happens at the most important times of the game. Yeah. Well, they want to wait as long as they can to see if they can pull it off on their own. You know, and then when it, when it Nine. becomes scary late, then you've got to, then you got to, you know, influence just a little bit. Hey, this is pretty cool. I just saw this from uh, Casey Thompson, who committed to OU last night. So Casey Thompson says his announcement was on January 11th at 6 p.m. So one eleven six. All three Thompsons will have worn number one, number six, and number 11 during their times in Norman. So the date and time was significant to the family. His brother wore one. His dad wore six. He's going to wear 11 here. So it looks like that's why he decided on 111 at 6 p.m. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Very cool. Very cool. And, um, man, what what an announcement, right? That was just... Very well put. Uh, I thought it was awesome. I thought that was that was really cool. Um, you know, I, I think he understands understands the role he's he's playing here, and I I think it's a very important one. You know, I, it's not it's not far fetched at all to to foresee him playing some like very important snaps next season, all right? Whatever may bring that uh, on the team, whether it's injury, whether it's, I don't know, it could be a million things. And maybe it yep. doesn't happen at all, but, you know, it's, it, you, don't have to, you don't have to be very creative at all to figure out, um, you know, to come up with, with some type of scenario where he's on the field in critical areas. Well, and we did this a couple of weeks ago. But if you want to look at the past to see how often a backup quarterback has had to play a meaningful snap, then the numbers say that it will happen next year. It happened in 23. It yeah. happened in 22. It happened in 2021. Mm-hmm. It happened in 2020. Yeah. It didn't happen in 2019. It happened in 18, and it happened in 17. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six out of the last seven years. Now, 2017 was Baker was suspended for the first drive. I mean, a backup quarterback playing a meaningful snap or starting a game, right? And, and same thing in 2018. Kyler was late to a meeting, so I believe it was Austin Kittle that started. But still, man, that's what I say, seven out of the past eight years, a backup yeah. quarterback has started the game or played in a big snap. I mean, that's, yeah, but, that's and probably wanna... on the high end of teams in the sport. Well, and you can keep going. I know for sure it happened in 15 I know for sure it happened in in fourteen and thirteen. Right? I mean, it's yeah, it's you could it's extend it out even longer than that. Yeah, for yeah, sure. you can keep going where, and you know, it's 
Sometimes maybe it's a series to get you through a half uh, or to close out a game, and maybe you're hopefully you're doing nothing more than just handing the football off. Um, but you never know whenever it may be have to come off the bench, you know, down 10 uh, in Baton Rouge under the lights. Uh, you just you never know, you know, where that moment may come, and that's why backup quarterback is is critical on a football team and having some experience and a guy that's played in a bunch of big-time games and started in some big-time games and big moments in a bunch of different places, um, you know, can hopefully get you through whatever that that situation may be. Add, add a, uh, an experienced voice there in the, you know, in the meeting room and in the locker room and in, in individual drills. I, I think it can be a very important role on a football team. Sure. Um, in case you missed it, you probably haven't. Kalen DeBoer is heading to Alabama. And now people are running down Alabama's schedule for next year. Home game against Georgia. Home game against Missouri. Home game against Auburn. Road games at Wisconsin. Road game at Tennessee. Road game at LSU. Road game at Oklahoma. Jeez. Over half of their schedule uh, going to be against pretty good football teams. We were talking earlier about, hey, Kalen DeBoer, pretty good football coach, really good football coach. Some things are working against him. And something that might be working against him, Teddy, like in January, that feels like that could be the toughest Alabama schedule in a while. And that's in that's in year one. So good luck. Yeah. Uh, whenever, whenever Saban like, found out that that was going to be the schedule for the 2024 season is whenever he – made up his final decision that he was going to be stepping away at oklahoma no. see ya now that's uh he would have navigated it just fine but that they, that really they does can feel win like every single one of those games but whenever you look at it that is just you can lose all of them too you know it's just tough it's that's that's very very and the margin for error for alabama has been getting smaller and smaller uh, you know, you can blame that on whatever you'd like. Um, Georgia's rise, NIL and transfer portal situation. Um, you know, people, the rumor of Saban stepping away. Like, you can blame it on, on whatever factor you'd like. Fact is, Alabama's margin for errors gotten thinner and thinner and thinner. And next year, that schedule is going to be an absolute monster. And, and his first SEC probably, game at Bama will be Georgia at home. Man. Whew. Yeah, they purpose, purposely probably told didn't show him the next year's schedule whenever they were negotiating the job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Washington. I, I, know, I know they got Michigan at home, but Washington may have a uh, much easier schedule next year if I, uh, if I had to guess. But, yeah. hey, man, if nothing else. He'll make a whole lot of money next year and probably have a nice buyout in three years if it doesn't go his way. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, let's hit a quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up our number one. We'll wrap up uh, Tyler's Week of Radio next as well. Stay tuned. Cavens Group bringing you this hour of the rush on a Friday. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. Freezing temperatures will be around the state, so if you need an emergency repair, call Cavens Group, 405-573-3048. That's 405-573-3048, Cavens Group. 
They'll help you out 24 hours, seven days a week. All right, so 24-7 Sports has the top 25 head coaches in college football now that Nick Saban is out of the game. So here's a list for you uh, with Saban omitted because, well, he's not coaching a college football team anymore. Dabo Sweeney is at number five. I'm going to give you the top five here, okay? Dabo still hanging in there at number five. Interesting. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, the new head coach at Alabama, is at number four. Mm. Brian Kelly at LSU is number three. Okay. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan is at two. And then, of course, you got Kirby Smart at Georgia at number one. Like it, love it, hate it. Um... Is Kalen DeBoer really number four? Well, I'm just – Ryan Day's at six. Sark is at seven. Mike Norvell is at eight. Based on what he just accomplished at Washington, like I, I'm willing to put him in the top five, yes. He just got okay. Washington to a national championship game. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty big-time stuff. And they had a good year last year, too. No, they did. They did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess that's fair. How long has Alabama had the number one coach? 2009, when he won his first national championship. I think that's, that's actually a good. Well, that's a good question to think back on it because in 08, Urban Meyer, Bob Stoops are probably one and two at that point. Right? And then Saban sitting somewhere. But Saban had already won a title, so he had respect even during that time. At at worst, he's number three. He wins that title in 09. Maybe he vaults to number number one. I I mean, I don't think anyone else during that time. I don't think that Urban would have ever surpassed him. I don't think that Dabo would have ever surpassed him. Ten-plus years, man. Ten-plus years. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is – like that, just the built-in, oh, Alabama factor and the Saban factor, all of that stuff that's just been automatically built in. I don't know. I don't know how much of the benefit of the doubt DeBoer is going to get there at Alabama. Probably quite a bit right out of the gate, but you know, I just I don't know how, if that lasts and what that looks like. That's the thing for me that's going to be. Interesting to see how it plays out. Like number one, yeah. the roster, hanging on to the roster currently that's there, what that looks like. I don't know. That That's that's going to be fascinating to me. By the way, uh, Mule Shoes out of the top ten. They have him at number 11, and it looks mm. like they had him at number uh, seven last year. So he continues to uh, tank his stock. Fading. But, but, okay, do you really think Lincoln Riley's the 11th best head coach in college football? It's such a hard thing to look at. I, it, it's like I'm the worst at doing that because I all situ, like if everyone was at the exact same That's situation, yeah. who would have the most success? Like that's how you you kind of have to look at it. In my opinion, it, I would say is Lincoln in the top ten. I. It's hard for him because I don't know that any of the other coaches that you kind of start to go through have what is perceived to be and maybe really is 
like a massive glaring hole in how they operate like Lincoln is viewed. You know, I mean, that that that's a pretty big negative. It is. I mean, to, to be at that job and for it to be where it feels like it is right now, I mean, you had Lance Leipold ranked a few spots behind him. And it feels like Lance Leipold may have had a better team this year at Kansas than Lincoln Riley had at USC. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but, but I'm with you. It, it's tough. Not everyone is on equal ground. Far uh, from here, it, actually. Here's the thing. Now, taking into consideration what everyone thinks about Lincoln Riley, he is number one in the country at recruiting quarterbacks, getting who he wants, whether it's portal or out of high school. At least he has been to this point. I would say he's probably the best uh, offensive mind, like building an offense. And I would say that he's probably the best offensive play caller, even though the Oklahoma fans could document all of the poor ones throughout the years. Okay. I would say he has all of those things working for him. Outside of that, I don't know how strongly he matches up against everyone else. Like, your CEO coaches that kind of hit it out of the park in overall running their program, strength and conditioning, recruiting all positions, like staff, building a staff, all of those things. But he's I, I still think he's the best offensive mind and the best quarterback whisper whatever you want to say in college football so yeah. whatever that's All right. worth i got a I, I got a pair of scissors so i'm taking them to allen Fieldhouse. if ou wins i'm cutting down the nets tomorrow so look for me look for single me if man win. single man court storming uh tomorrow <laughs> in fog allen by tyler all right uh have fun up there man see you man all right more from the rush coming up we got a couple hours left here on a friday just connor and i gonna be taking you the rest of the way home stay tuned <laughs>